0: I've got a big problem, and I need your guys' help. I, I've discovered there is a major hole in my life that I did not know was there until I got a couple of day, days of downtime. I'm sitting there on the uh, Thanksgiving holiday week in the rover, and I'm like, you know what I want to do? I want to watch some TV. Maybe even I want to watch some Home Alone movie. Ooh, Home yeah. Alone. Yeah, Good it's choice. A holiday, yeah, right? it's less. Cozy and, up. Watch some Home Alone. Then I remembered that my whole rover runs off of a MyFi connection. Ooh. And all of a sudden, I went from not caring about TV at all to I got to have a way. That I can, like, come down to the studio, sync media to some kind of device, go back to the rover, and play offline, still with some streaming options if I want them. Right. I keep, and so here's the solution I don't want to use because this is what seems like the easy solution. Take an iPad with the Plex app, yep. come down here to the studio, sync to the Plex server to the iPad, bring the iPad back to the rover, and watch, like, Plex on the iPad offline. Mm. But that's not very Linuxy. Nope. And there's got to be a way to do it. Like, and, and so I'm I'm curious what could what could be like a decent. What are people's offline media solution? Where you have maybe
1: like a collection of media somewhere. I have a quick question for you, Chris. Yeah. Um, how. Do you have a defined way you'd like to be watching it in the rover? I mean, well, do you have a TV? Do you have no, a desktop? No, it, it, no, I don't. I prefer not to be on. Definitely not on a desktop. Or you? Do but you a, have a mobile device? A laptop so with a
0: decent size screen would be okay, or a tablet would be okay. okay. Basically, something that's decent enough to watch a TV on, but it doesn't have to be that big. So I thought maybe I could do like an MB server with maybe like a tablet app right. or on a on a laptop or maybe like well like i said plex on a tablet could be an android tablet too but i just i hate android tablets Sure. or rsync you know i could just rsync some files over from time to time and use vlc right but i would really like something that has like played status and resume support for where i left off and maybe transcoding support for different devices that would be nice so I, I don't really know what the solution is here. Because the ideal, the ideal thing would be like, okay, it's a Friday and I'm here at the studio. I'll sync up a couple of shows and then I'll go home for the weekend and I watch all my stuff. And then I come back uh, on Monday for Coda Radio and I sync what I watched, re- take some stuff off, put some stuff on. It it would be really nice. Uh, Wimpy, do you have an idea? Because hey, yeah. I see mo- – you, you, you said I know, you know what it is. Tell me, Wimpy.
2: Yeah. Okay. So um – what we have here, what we have in the house here is a a server running open media vault with um plex installed on that so all of the media is on there so consequently anyone in the house using any device can watch the film when our shortwave radio is down to um you know stream it to your device with transcoding working and all the rest of it so if you had a small plex uh, server, or you could do it with MB as well. I suppose does MB do transcoding for mm-hmm, devices? Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you could use that as well, and you you host it in the RV.
0: And then so, uh, and then and then just sort of over time trickle you content down add to content, it.
2: Content, add content to the server as and when you get the opportunity. You know, so the way that we add content to this is we buy. Blu-ray discs, and I have a machine that I rip the films off the Blu-ray into the media library. Mm. Yeah,
1: that's actually a pretty good. Solution. I have seen just in that same vein. Uh, if you're an MB supporter, they have a folder sync. Yeah, and so you can transcode out. You can target a specific device yes. even, and so you might be able to do that to an external hard drive and bring it in if you had not one there. Uh, hmm. Maybe too much work. I'm not sure. It wouldn't have probably the, probably wouldn't have the watch status. I wonder about that. But yeah, it, that would I, I be could go thing.
0: basically. I would use MB to organize all the files and then use its folder sync plugin. To, to manage uh, hmm. I have not tried that. But Popey, you said you had an idea.
3: Yeah, I just posted a link in uh, IRC. Uh, it's a device uh, which is a mobile wireless access point that has a USB port and an SD card slot, and it's got a battery. So it's designed to be hmm. a portable media server. So you just Stick all your media on a USB drive, plug it into that thing, and then you can go anywhere. Carry this thing with you, and it creates a wireless access point. You connect to it, connect multiple devices to it, and just stream media straight off it to any device.
0: Oh, wow. Nice. So basically, it probably uses, what, DLNA to to connect to it? So anything that supports DLNA playback can stream off of it?
3: I'm not sure what protocol it uses, but the good news is it is flashable. So you can actually stick anything. Oh, you can, I really? think you can put nice. like Linux or OpenWRT or some other random stuff on it as well. You can hack it. But the fact that it's got a battery in it means you can go out and about and still carry on listening to content off of it or like watching media off of it when the power goes out.
0: Wow. Or- I mean, this is uh, so they even have a newer version. Uh, how
3: can this yeah, thing be? Yeah, I've got the old one.
0: It's like thirty. It's like thirty bucks US. That seems in, entirely too
1: reasonable.
3: <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no storage in it, so you've got to provide you your put an own SD storage. card in there, right? But you right. could have an SD, bachelor, shows, an SD card of TV shows, an SD card
1: of movies, and who doesn't have yeah. one laying around? Anyway, interesting,
0: probably. interesting. Uh, that is actually pretty neat. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. That's a pretty neat idea. Uh, I wonder though if uh, <clears throat> you know what to me what. What I really would like is something that is kind of what Wimpy was saying, where I just have a rig in the rover that's so, that, that is receiving files through maybe, like, sync thing or something.
4: Right? Yeah, that's my idea. Use sync thing.
0: Yeah, okay, but then here's the problem, though. Uh, first of all, it requires connectivity in the rover all the time, and the second thing is I'm still not syncing my watch data. So do I, do I just give up on that, I guess? Well, you could, what like, it-
4: delete it or something. You don't necessarily have to, I don't know. You could find some other way, put it in a separate folder, just use the file system.
3: Yeah. deal with watch status connection all the time though does it? it only needs connection periodically you know in order to right. sync synchronize things yeah. like you know whenever you like pull up outside mcdonald's get it to synchronize over their wi-fi or whatever i mean you could even Wi-Fi. set it up in such
4: a way that you had to be at home so it had to only sync when you were local at the studio or you right. could do it like when you set up a vpn connection so it could be explicit so it's only syncing when you're on a connection that you think has enough bandwidth
0: it feels nice though, I mean, what I, what I was kind of fantasizing, the reason why the, 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 the iPad or Android tablet running Plex is so fancy to me is because I just bring it with me one day and I just hit a button. It just sucks down all the new stuff right.
1: and then I walk away and it's got all the new stuff and no connection required at the rover at all. I have a wild idea. What? What if you use something like uh, ZFS or ButterFS Snapshots yeah. Yeah. and take snapshots hmm. of your MB installation? Oh, hold on, Wes. Send that right to an <laughs> external or something and connect it up and run MB from that drive and okay. then have it rescan your library and then it would only show you things that you you had kept. That, that is interesting. I don't know. It w- it's overly complicated. You'd have to set it a lot of stuff up I love something. it, though. I love but it. I love it. Because uh, I know it uses a SQLite database to store a lot of configuration and probably the watch status, too. I don't know.
0: I think I have, there's a lot that appeals to me to, to Popey's old device and also to Wimpy's solution. Yes. The, thing, the, the one thing I like about uh, something simple is I guess I'm trying, to, I'm trying to punt for as long as possible on setting up a server in the rover. At least I see. I'd like to get through the end of winter. I don't know, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe a nook and a little hard external hard drive. It's just I don't know. I don't know. It's That's a, a lot to set up. Yeah, I mean. it is. It is, and I've already I've already set up two in two other places, and I have a
1: third on DigitalOcean right now. Right. So it's like, do I really want a fourth? And how much infrastructure do you want to be responsible? Yeah, for? Yeah, I just uh, it's getting I'm getting tired of it. I want something move simple. to a smaller house, but with
0: more devices because basically I don't watch media that often anymore. But right, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and and then of course I'm thinking to myself, where is my dang. Uh by dang purism laptop because I could just <laughs> uh, <laughs> choose that right now. I could just as a 1080p display, I could watch some 1080p Any movies updates on that. There? I got nothing. Uh yeah, yeah, I agree. I might just do VLC. I might just do VLC and an NFS mount over the net. I don't know. I could do that too. And to be honest, you know, uh, both MB and Plex have pretty good solutions here, so I might just watch to see what they do, too. Right. I'm, I'm that, MB, uh, that MB sync folder sync thing might be a nice go-between in the meantime. Right. Interesting to try, anyway. You'll have to let us know. This is Linux Unplugged episode 121 for December 1st, 2015. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that it wants its portability and its horsepower. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. That might be a little hint to something we're going to talk about later in the show
1: today. Oh, look at you, Chris.
0: I know. Look at me teasing. In fact, coming up on today's episode of 121, we got a lot. We're going to start with a little look back over some recent things that developed, including from the GIMP project, a topic we touched on last week, fedora 24. Has got something brand new that no other distro is doing. Whoa. And I'm gonna put it to the virtual lug. Is this maybe something we should all consider setting up on our own Linux installations? We'll talk about that. And then later on in the show, it's the tiny mini itsy bitsy PC Revolution. Whoa! In fact, everyone right here in studio. We got it right here. It's called so the Omega box. Onion. Yeah, and it is a modular stackable PC. But there's a lot. You know, we've also got that new Raspberry Pi micro mini thing, tiny yeah. little computer that the does stuff. Could probably put Cody on it. And... Oh. And then in the end of the show, I can't believe it, Wes. Here we are, December 1st, 2015, and Adobe has announced they're killing Flash. Really? Well You'll
5: have to kinda. tell us more.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, don't believe the headlines. But I thought, you know what, we will tell you what's happening. And I thought, why don't why don't we just chat about what we do as Linux users? to avoid using Flash whenever possible. And I am on a Flash anti-crusade this week because it, it basically locked up my X session this week. So Ouch. Chris has got a, an agenda to, to uh, well, I'm going to grind some gears, to be honest with you. And then uh, towards the end, maybe even in the post show, if we have some time, I'm going to ask the uh, virtual lug what they're thankful for, kind of as, a, as an homage to what we did on Sunday's Linux Action Show. That's a ton of stuff, Wes. Yeah, that's great. That's a big show. That's a big show. So why don't we get started by bringing in our virtual lug time-appropriate greetings, mama room. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, hello. hi, hi. So guys, guys, I don't know how many of you are gamers, but I talk about Steam games way too much. So I want to just mention something really awesome. When a Total Kick Butt open source game has an update, and it's a big update, Warsaw 2.0 released with better graphics, Creative Commons licensed game assets, all that goodness with a thirty to fifty percent faster performance, new heads up display. All kinds of weapon parameter tweaks, and it's that game that has that cool uh, cell shaded effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a cool, cool open source game, and (laughs) I kind of left it off my list accidentally on Sunday. And so today they have a brand new update, Wes, a brand new update. And uh, I already installed it this morning and played it a little bit.
1: It's a lot of fun. It looks like a lot of fun. We should set something up and get some people to play it. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's a real fun one to, to land game. It's really easy to get going, and because it's open source, everybody can be on the same version. No uh, awesome uh, CD key generators required or yeah. anything like that. So Warsaw 2.0 release, congrats to those guys. I just wanted to give them a shout-out.
6: A That's very cool. Yeah,
0: because we, we should have probably mentioned it on Sunday. Now, something to follow up on from last week's episode, 120, of Linux Unplugged. We talked about GIMP hitting 20 years old. Quite the milestone. 20 years old, Wes. And uh, now it can't quite drink yet, and it doesn't get a discount on rentals, but... They do have some brand new features that they released just after Linux Unplugged came out. Like, they heard our show, and they're like, boy, those dicks. Let's show them. Let's show them. <laughs> Let's show those guys, those Linux Unplugged bastards over Jupiter Jupyter Broadcasting. So they came out with a uh, new update, and uh, they've got some good stuff in there. Now, uh, of course, as Unidentified in the chat room points out, Gim can now drink in most... Reasonable countries. American countries, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rodden, are you still around? And did you catch anything in this uh, GIMP update that uh, caught your interest? Because I know you were kind of hard on GIMP last week.
7: Yeah. They've actually made some announcements that they're, they're, they're going to be using uh, GEGL mm-hmm. to do non-destructive editing in the future. They don't have that right now. But thanks to the GEGL, they're also doing uh, 16-bit and 32-bit projects. Right. right. So, so that's – some fundamental things that 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 was missing. So, there, I'm I'm optimistic, but very cautiously optimistic.
1: Can we call it gaggle. I think that's more fun.
7: Yeah, but
1: no. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I mean, so the 32-bit thing is a big deal. Also, huge improvements to open up PNG, TIFF, and PSD files. Which, if you think about people that are making uh, migrations, that's a big deal. And uh, and one of no. the
7: Huh? The PSD thing is the PSD thing is overrated because you they're, think? they're saying that you can open up things. That's true, but there are things that you can't open regardless of the. They're better supporting the format, but the majority oh. of PN- PSDs are going to have sure. features that are sure. not going to be available. So, for example, if you try to open up a CMYK PSD, it <laughs> <Right>. just breaks.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And also, some new canvas rotation tools that some people are said, well, okay, we have kind of needed that for a long time. I mean at the same – so there's, it's sort it's, it of what we talked about last week. It's really hard not to talk about the gimp and talk about how it's not stacking up to the commercial alternatives. And I kind of tried to make the case last week that really what we should be stacking it up against is anything else in this class that is free. right? Because in this – it's not that free is an excuse for not high quality. It's that free is an enablement for a certain class of humanity that cost sometimes is a huge barrier for Huge barrier. Hello. Hi Hello. There. Hi there. Uh, So I mean, I'm I I I wish GIMP was more competitive. At the same time, I'm really glad they've
1: steadily improved the way they have. And
7: it, yeah, I don't know. I don't follow
1: the development that closely,
7: but potential.
1: It it seems like there's a little bit more renewed interest. You know, they've got the new website design out, Mm -hmm. which I still think looks nice. And and they're they're pushing forward on some features. We'll see. I think you know, obviously, we continue to watch.
7: I'm optimistic about it, mainly because of a lot of the things that was really frustrating me that they didn't have they're implementing now and they're bringing in uh, CMYK support. They haven't officially given like a date when it's coming, but they have announced that it's coming and they're bringing in plugins for that are uh, trying to get like layer styles and stuff like that. But um, just the fact that they are actually, you know, you know, telling people that they're even doing this is an improvement. They're mm. you know, putting out press releases and stuff they've never done before. And like they've they've changed a lot of their direction, which I appreciate as someone who wants him to be a solution but um based on the you know twenty years of it not being remotely relevant to me as a in as a professional, I'm cautious, but I hope I'm wrong all right I I'm hope gonna be that it's actually going to be great
0: I'm gonna be that guy. I hate that I have to be that guy, but just consider this as Chris putting it on his devil's advocate pants. It says devil's advocate right on the butt. They're very cute. Thank you. Uh, is is it really just a matter of too too little too late? And I the reason I don't mean because you know Photoshop's a thing because that's obvious. I mean I've been reading a lot of reviews about uh, people that are now drawing on tablets like uh, uh, Odyssey Westra, who joins us frequently. Right. draws on a tablet. Uh, and very, very good drawings. Um, the um, Apple's iPad Pro just came out with their $100 pencil yeah, and their $1,000 tablet for drawing. There are a lot of apps out there now that take the touch screen and maybe like a, a peripheral, f- and you are now like reaching an entire different audience. And, and the reason why I wonder if this is kind of a little too little, too little, too late kind of thing for GIMP is the audience those types of devices are reaching is the casual average everyday person, the exact kind of person that GIMP is perfect for, only not all that appealing to. And so I look at this and I go, "About oh, 20 years now, and now we're at a point where guys like Popey are trying to replace the desktop PC with an Ubuntu phone." And like, are they going to get to 25 years and then that, that that usage, that 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 desktop paradigm is going to be out of date and there's going to be even less people using it than ever before? I
7: don't know. Well, what do you- it's a- well, yeah, As a professional, I, I'm not looking at using a tablet except for a Wacom tablet. So th- those are just perfectly great using on a desktop. And you would use that but, with
0: GIMP or something to say if GIMP had good enough feature set?
7: Yeah. I mean, right now I, I use uh, Illustrator and Krita.
0: Uh, right. It, like, and But see, drone. you're looking at it more from a professional angle, and that seems pretty legit. And I don't think you could really ever replace like the Wacom tablet and the desktop-level applications for any kind of serious work. But if you want to sketch something out, you want to just doodle a little bit, this is almost too much stuff and it's too much complication. But yet the very people it's appealing to are people that maybe are not high-end professionals. Do you do – you am I making sense?
1: Yeah. I
0: wonder if
8: there's a couple yeah, I, distinct
1: categories too. Like in, in – at least in, in America, uh, you know, first world countries, I think I think you're right. I think that people, you know, have enough means that if they want a nice drawing environment that's easy to use and doesn't have all the crazy features – they can get a nice tablet or something like that. I wonder about maybe the developing world, you know, places where they have less access or they can't kind of expend, spend that money on a whim to get just something for drawing, you know, as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's where if, GIMP can have more of a place.
9: If you're mm-hmm. drawing, uh, not just... Uh, like, if you're creating designs... Right, it's more of
0: Corita in Inkscape. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah so like yes. if
9: you're If you're doing web design, GIMP maybe is a better tool, but for yeah. drawing, I, I would... Push GIMP aside because right. it doesn't have the features that Krita has, right. and Krita is still free and open source. Well, and,
0: and speaking of Albert, Odyssey Westra, uh, Krita I believe is what he uses to do his drawing. So that and that, that that makes sense. I was just kind of what I was postulating was is if the average use case is perhaps
1: becoming more and more niche for GIMP. Right. It does kind of see, it does seem that way. Uh, but at I the just same want time, are making more
7: better. thing Yeah. Though. Go ahead. Yeah. Run the, the 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 introductory like the beginner introduction to drawing uh, is actually easier for a desktop. Because you can get a Wacom tablet for fifty bucks, Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
7: so you could actually get you know use Krita, use a Wacom tablet, and or even use something else, um, and you'd be able to do a lot more for a lot less to just to get it started.
0: You know what else is kind of interesting for me from a technology standpoint, and probably nobody else really cares about this, uh, but GIMP is obviously a showcase of what the GTK. Toolkit can do. right, And Corita, in its own way, if I believe, is QT, right? So you have two completely different toolkits here, the, the, the two big toolkits being used to create two very
1: high-end art applications. Where does Inkscape fall? It's QT as know. well, th- right?
0: Is, is Inkscape GT, GTK maybe? Uh, maybe? Is. I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's it's just fascinating from a couple of different angles to watch these two applications, even though as uh, somebody that has zero art skill, that doesn't totally really ever apply to me. <laughs>
7: The funniest thing about GIMP and the GTK toolkit is the fact that the newest version of GIMP has a 2.9.x, X has like a much improved theming system. Why can't they use it? Like they built a cool toolkit, they built a cool theming system, yet GIMP is still hideous. Like, it's kind of weird that they build the, the fundamentals, but they don't have the ability to use what they build.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I do agree that it is pretty, it is, It is. there's a lot going on with Camelot.
10: Right you, you could argue, yes. you can make that customization argument with almost anything. Uh, look at uh, Gnome. Lots of theming potential there, but mm-hmm. really, there's only about four strong themes out there that really look good.
0: Yeah, yeah I, the
7: default of Gnome looks pretty good by it, by itself. All right, it's okay. It's so Well, it's when you compare it to things like Xfce that look oh yeah yeah oh at, yeah 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 absolutely. I mean it's 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 a good design mm-hmm. even if it's not perfect. But it's well okay Edweta is a weird design but yeah the shell itself is nice
0: <laughs> yeah you put Arc theme on there and you're good to go yeah. you're good to go. have you installed the Arc theme I have that's from the uh, yeah that's that's some that that's is a, slick. S- that is a seriously great theme yeah Uh and then you just mix and match the icons as you feel at it and I'm telling you I I. My personal opinion, it, I don't think there's a better looking desktop. If you match the icons, you go all dark and you put the Arc theme on there, I think it's the best looking desktop on the planet. So, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, Nomes at Adwaita or whatever. Where's your uh, Unix porn? Yeah, right,
0: is. I should. You're right. Well, it's right here. It's on all my rigs. They've slowly over time. What I what I what I found is kind of interesting. Is I've just sort of landed on this in each of my gnome installations too. It's not like it's not something. I don't sit down and go, oh god, it's all the Arc theme. Right. No, it just kind of happens. Uh, anyways, uh, Mumbroo, any other thoughts before we uh, move on from the uh, GIMP topic or Krita or anything like this? Wimpy, I know there was you—you'd ping me at one point. Was there anything you wanted to add to the chat?
2: Uh, no, I think you've covered it. Just that um Crete is a better tool for freehand drawing than, yeah. than GIMP, GIMP's yeah. a photo editor.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we made that point because I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to walk away from that.
10: I had something. Yeah um i don't think it really uh replaces uh the tablet and everything because there are different use cases totally hmm. The tablet is a consu- is not a cons- it- it's a consumption advi- uh, device, device not yeah. a production
0: I device. think that's starting to change though um you know you look at Microsoft with their surface. And you look at convergence devices that are coming, and you got iPad Pros now with keyboards and, and pen soles. I guess that's going call the
7: laptops that
0: have touchscreens and stuff. Yeah, even, mm-hmm.
10: even like I've tried hooking up uh, a keyboard with a tablet, and it's just not the same as It having really a isn't. Desktop. No, I do it's
0: agree. It's not there yet. Totally different feel. But I wonder if it's there enough enough. If it's there, And enough. for some
1: people who, who do want to create, you know, they don't yeah. need to futz with anything. They just want a canvas and enough tools. Or,
0: or you know, like, so my mom is a professional graphic right. artist, right? And so one of the things that I know she would do is you start with a sketch and you could do that on the tablet and then you move it into Photoshop where you get the actual work done would be how she would look at it. Sure. I start with the outline on this uh, nice uh, little touchy device here that uh, lets me draw. Right, maybe you're at the coffee shop. You yeah. just got your tablet. You're yeah. kind of thinking exactly. about things. Or actually, I'm at the client meeting. The client's right. talking to go. me. Do it right there in the meeting. But then they can <clears> they can, you know, send that out in different formats and bring it into, like Adobe Sketch is a thing even on right. on the tablets and, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting just to see that particular use case getting eat up, eaten up by that. But, yeah, in the long term, if you want to sit down and do any serious work, I mean, for her, I, maybe that's just because she's been doing it for so long now, but she will never, ever, ever consider replacing her desktop with a, with a tablet ever. So, yeah, but maybe for somebody. Uh, Heavens, you want to take us out on the last note here?
4: Yes. The one thing that I think for you know, open source software might be a little bit the underdog is that the producers or creators of the software do not need to force their consumers to buy their product, so they might not be or have incentive to actually make it really good or at least worth money.
0: Or another way to say that is they don't have to. They don't have to uh, chase the shiny.
2: Yeah,
4: even though a lot of people can get paid for doing GIMP work, they don't really need to, you know, sell it, do a lot of PR.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's not why that makes them... I I think it's the the amount of money that they don't get money from it and they're not trying to sell it is not necessarily a bad thing, but it does make their production slower. So if they had more, if they did like an Indiegogo or something where they could get money and pay more developers to do more faster... GIMP would be a much more relevant program, but because they take so long to do everything, uh, that's one of the reasons why it's just, you know, fallen behind so much. Even hmm. in the open source field because I mean if you, if you're wanting to do basic editing, you don't really go to GIMP. There's stuff like Pinta, which is much sm- simpler, much easier to use. And if you're going to do like really extensive drawing, you don't go to GIMP either, you go to Krita. So I mean, GIMP is even falling back in the open source field.
8: Hmm.
0: Boy,
1: there's yeah, more to, a shame.
0: There's more to this conversation than I first thought. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm curious to hear what the audience thinks listening because I feel like I feel like this is one of those conversations where maybe somebody's listening and screaming at their car stereos. They're right. driving
1: down the road or something. I just don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which we don't.
0: That's fine. reddit.com, Episode One Twenty One. If you would, I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, because this is fascinating. Because GIMP to me is just such a great case study. It really such is. such a good one uh, for so many different highlights
1: reasons. highlights and you know maybe some of the low points mm-hmm. of open source. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of highlights, our first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Use our promo code. Get ready for this right in your face. Do unplugged one word lowercase $10 credit. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get your own rig up on their kick-ass servers. Linux, FreeBSD, it don't matter. They got a great infrastructure, all Linux rigs, powering everything, SSDs for all the disk IO, KVM for the virtualizer, 40 gigabit e-connections for their data centers. It's rocking. Go check them out. You can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plans are only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM. Twenty gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a
8: terabyte of
0: transfer. A terabyte,
1: a terabyte. Know, and then forty, forty gigabit. I mean, that's great.
0: Wes, did you ever, did you ever work on any kind of projects or stuff like five, six, seven, eight years ago that? Uh, where you had to
1: get like a co-located server and like yes. put an actual server in the rack. It's a pain. It's, it is yeah, huge pain.
0: Yeah, and the cost is is nuts. And and the, so when I say a terabyte of transfer in these reads, I can't help but look. I mean, I can't help but think back to when a terabyte of transfer uh, at the average transfer price was a thousand dollars just for a terabyte of transfer. A thousand dollars just for the transfer, right? Just for the transfer. And now you can
1: get that for $5. So
0: it really blows me away. And then the fact that the whole thing is like exactly the kind of infrastructure I would build. Yep. Uh, if I could like just have an unlimited budget and have at it, that's what exactly I would build. And then like, even if I could build like, well, what I would, I would do Linux, I would do KVM, I would do SSDs, I would do crazy great data centers and connections. But the thing that I could never do, which is really awesome, is that interface. Oh, oh that interface is crazy great. Simple, intuitive, extremely powerful. Somehow, they managed to do it, and, and what's not only great about that is not only did they manage to get those three impossible things actually accomplished, but they did it on an interface that manages virtual machines.
1: Okay? That's crazy.
0: That is crazy that's, to my face. That's
1: new to the world, I think.
0: <laughs> it is new to the world. So use the promo code D1Plug to get in on that S and get it for two months absolutely free. And also, they have a great API to extend that all the way up into the rest of the world. That really means there's a bunch of great apps, so even if you don't know how to write nothing. You can go take advantage of some good stuff. Great tutorials. They got Fedora twenty four up there now. They got uh, of course all your favorite Ubuntu's, your Debian's, your CentOS's, and even that Core OS, and last but not least, FreeBSD. Oh my goodness, FreeBSD's even up on that digital ocean. Now I don't know why you'd want to use that. I just tease. I love you guys. But go check it out. Use the promo code unplugged. Support this show. It's one word. It's lowercase, and it gives you a $10 credit. Isn't that something amazing? You can support your favorite Linux talk show and try out DigitalOcean. Two months for absolutely free. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code unplugged. and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Linux Unplugged. Thanks, you guys. All right. So uh, those crazy guys who, you know— we got folks in here that work on their own distributions. We got folks in here from Canonical, we got folks in here from SUSE, we got folks in here That's from Anacondas time to time. We got folks in here from all these different distros. You know we don't Solus. have you, Yeah, thank you. You know you, you know where we don't have reoccurring folks from? Fedora. So I'm just going to speak for them. And if I get something wrong, it's their fault. Yep. I'm just... Come correct us. You
1: are an open invitation.
0: Uh, But I think this is kind of neat. I think it's a neat idea. And it's something I wanted to bounce past you and the virtual lug to see if maybe it's not something we all want to consider doing on our own Linux rigs. So Fedora24, it's that crazy distro that's coming out in the future, in the year 2000. And it's going to support Wayland and something else that I think is a really good idea, especially somebody who's on a slower, high-latency internet connection. A default... Local DNS server. They say plain DNS is just plain insecure and therefore vulnerable from various attacks, like cache poisoning. A client can never be sure that there is a no-man-in-the-middle type scenario if they don't do DNSSEC validation locally. We want to have the unbound server installed and running on local host by default on Fedora systems and also where necessary have DNSSEC trigger installed. So what the Fedora project is planning to do Is include the unbound DNS server set up as a default local host resolver, and then it'll go out to the rest of the internet if it can't find the name for something you're looking up. And I wanted to start with us, and then I wanted to bounce it around the mumble room. Uh, I can think of in an enterprise how this could maybe actually be a bad thing, but uh, have you ever played with setting up local DNS on your LAN, and have you ever noticed anything? And what are your thoughts on Fedora just including it by default?
1: Well, I think it's I think it's because doesn't Network Manager already it uses DNS mask locally I believe by default. Mm, you might that right. I think they have those. That's fine. Okay. I think where this is different. So, but, one, they're using unbound. and yes. then Two, they're specifically setting up DNSSEC support and making. Yeah. It All right. So let's break that down in two parts. So let's start with why the local DNS. Why do you think? Uh, I mean, I think it's helpful. I know, like Network Manager wants to use it for things like split horizon DNS. This is one thing I hope Fedora gets right. Like for me, it's important at work that I can have a set of DNS entries that are resolved over the VPN connection and then routed over the VPN, VPN Absolutely. connection, right? So if, if that doesn't work, then that could be a pain in enterprise environments where you need to be referencing mm-hmm. name servers that get updated, you know, at a, at a set pace. or Not, you that, know we'll have not that uncommon. Yeah, no, definitely not. But I think it does give you a lot of control. Um, it also lets you cache things locally, which, you know, that's never bad. You know,
0: I was thinking about from that angle, the, you know, back in the rover, the MyFi connection, right? High latency connection. And if I can make every time I go out to the web... A little tiny bit faster. That sounds appealing to me. Now, can you touch a little bit on the DNSSEC thing? So uh, DNSSEC. So they're going to be they're going to unbound now, and they're going to be doing DNSSEC. What do you think about that? Do you think it's maybe time for all distros to consider doing DNSSEC out of the
1: box? I don't know if I would say. I think it's I think it's good that Fedora is exploring this. Um, You know, it it does seem like there are a lot of potential vulnerabilities with DNS setups without Mm -hmm. DNSSEC. Um, Maybe it doesn't go far enough. I don't know. Um, Further discussion there is needed. But I think Fedora serves usually as a useful point where in Linux, they kind of try something at a scale, fully integrated into their environment. And if it works... Other distros will adopt it. If not, you know we can kind of see it. I'm excited to try Fedora 24 and see if it works for me. Yeah, really. I, that is actually a good point. Like we don't have to do it everywhere. Let's let Fedora right. try. I mean, like it in a, a year bit. or six months, we'll, I think we'll see like how how well does it work. But it does. I mean, I've only ever heard good things about Unbound, so wow. I would imagine it works pretty now, well.
0: Now look at bnx bnxnt in the chat room says an emphatic no on DNSSEC. An emphatic no. Now, I don't anybody in the moment room know why that might be because I, I don't have.
1: I, any... I am not a DNSSEC expert. Yeah, but, so no, neither am cool I. About
0: that. Uh, but he linked us here. It says DNSSEC is unnecessary. All secure crypto on the internet assumes that the DNS lookup from names to IP addresses are insecure. Securing those DNS lookups therefore enables no meaningful security because all the other stuff is or, or already thinks it's insecure. That's an interesting point right yeah. there, actually. I, I like this from two standpoints. I like it obviously from the performance standpoint, and I've been experimenting with DNSSEC myself for about a month. Oh, really? Yeah, and I I haven't really – once I did it, I didn't – I actually forgot until today when I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this today. I've been using it for a month on my XPS, and I forgot I even had it. That's a good thing. Yeah, so I I haven't – from an end user standpoint, I feel like it just gives me a little more peace of mind Mm -hmm. um, because I know that that stuff is not – and here's – I don't mean to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I do not
1: trust any wireless carrier. Any of well, them, no, right. I mean, how many of them have those super cookies, right? Uh, and yeah, so, in things. the
0: rover, I have, uh, I have uh, right now, I have a couple of different connections, and and depending on which one's strongest is the one I'll use. And so, I've got a unlimited myFi device from Ting. Well, you know, it's, you pay for what you use, right? That I, I'm, I'm I'm feeling pretty comfortable with. I really have no issues. But the one that has stronger signal where the rover is parked at is an AT and T yes. myFi hotspot, and that one I'm pretty uncomfortable with. Uh, you know, they've used super cookies in the past. Where I believe they, vi- they currently are. Yeah. And, and they – yes, they are. And they inject it into HTTP traffic right now. And so it, those kinds of things make me super uncomfortable because all of my internet is going through that right now. Right. And so I start looking at, at things like DNSSEC or VPN tunnels mm-hmm. or, you know, HTTPS everywhere. And I start thinking if I could add these different layers, what it really does is give me peace of mind. Uh, and it, and I almost wonder if we won't get to a place six, five, seven years from now where we go, wow, I can't believe we did so much stuff over the net unencrypted. Like it will just become right. commonplace for encryption, for HTTPS and DNSSEC and all these kinds of things because it's not even about the encryption. It's about the validation of the endpoint. It's about validating yeah, who right. you're talking to is really who you intend to be talking to. And I think that's the aspect of it that – will take off over the next few years and then it's just going to become obvious that what do you mean it's what do you mean it's not encrypted because, yeah, you're just spewing plain text to whoever wants it yeah that's like, crazy yeah somebody could just be intercepting that how do you know you're actually talking to that person right i think that might be uh really sort of and more that's of why, a cultural I, thing here and then. that's why i'm a big fan of let's encrypt as well right. Is because it kind of plays into that same thing, and you know, it allows some dude like me to have an own cloud server that you know has a Let's Encrypt certificate. Yep. Have at it. That it's... your
1: friends with your friends use it, they won't yeah. balk because there's a little red X in the corner. Exactly. Yeah. Or if say I set up my own Mattermost
0: yeah right. server, it'd be another nice thing for that. Uh, mumble room. Anybody have any thoughts on setting up local DNS pros and cons, and if anybody has done it? Anybody in the mumble room set up a local DNS server and using it right now? Yes. And what do you think? Good, bad, uh, worth the effort? I don't know.
4: Uh, it's not a big deal anymore because it's part of my deployment configuration so it just gets applied to all my machines so you you install a local
0: dns server on each machine you're not just doing and one research. for your LAN. No, why, yeah, why I have a lot of
4: like roaming machines um, okay. so it's nice to have the local dns server when you're out on the go that kind of thing yeah
0: that's a good point yeah and that's it's not
4: a big deal point. to run it even on the machines that are already behind another level of cache right and what are you deal. using to do the local dns dns mask okay just because it was simple and why right. not unbound uh, not unbound. Uh, because I'm familiar with DNS mask. Yeah. For no good reason. Yeah, I was
0: thinking. I was thinking DNS mask seems like the go-to. But then when Fedora said, "Well, we're going to go unbound," I went and looked it up, and it looks like it's really easy to set up and get, get going. Nice. Yeah, I was thinking about maybe doing it a looks on solid, it looks pretty solid.
4: And I don't need the DHCP server from DNS mask, so I might consider it. It seems like that. It depends the, on how flexible spot, yeah.
0: it is. Yeah.
4: yeah, DNS mask has a lot of flexible settings to allow me to hit different DNS servers for different domains and that kind of stuff. I don't know if unbound has all the same functionality.
1: Not sure. We'll have I, to hear some report back from you I kind of want to try it and find out. I do too, out. yeah. Because uh, I've been deploying DNS Mask as well. Yeah. But that's just because that's what I right. knew how to use.
0: Yeah, so. and that was always kind of the go-to. But I'm definitely uh, So, uh, Vert, which I want to say uh, vert, Vendetta Online, but it's uh, Vert Nwendo, uh, Vert Nwendo, Vert Nwendo. Uh, vert uh, Nwendo. Vert There we go. I like it. So, uh, you use it for VPN uh, host resolving. Tell me about this.
8: Yeah, basically, okay, um, if you tie in your own name servers, you can resolve your individual VPN hosts for your total subnet. So what I actually do is I set up a DHCP server, which links to my DHCP, my DNS servers via Tsig to set up a okay, uh, mapping for my VPN server, for VPN clients. And when they connect to the VPN, they can automatically resolve each other's uh, host name on the VPN because they get the information from I the local follow. DNS server Kira, that's been pointed to them. Huh. It's, it's a very easy way of doing it. And, 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 funny, and funny enough, okay, this is exactly what Tink ended up doing for me as well. Really? Because oh, Tink nice. now builds it into the VPN setup, yeah. Really? So basically, here once you resolve one host, Kira, and then, yeah, it will resolve hosts for all the other VPNs. So
0: Tink is something that... Which uh, kind of makes
8: with... my, my...
0: Oh, go ahead. I just want to make sure you were saying Tink and not Ting. For the audience okay, listening, yeah, yeah. So t- Tink is like a t- mesh, t- mesh t- VPN t- solution. T- yeah,
1: okay, cool. t- and, t- and, t- and I was t- about t- to say the same thing. You know, t- you t- know t- I like t- the local b- t- DNS. T- yeah. For that reason is that you can set up your own. I mean, you can use your host file, but if you have a local DNS, it's a little cleaner. Yeah, You're configuring yeah. everything in the same spot. Yeah,
3: yeah. You can
1: replicate that to other machines. <laughs> yeah, using the local host file. Well, that doesn't just feels hacky. Yeah,
0: all right. And go ahead. Sorry, Vert. Did you want to finish?
8: Well, no, I was just saying, okay, actually with Tinker, it makes it a little bit easier because because you're doing it over a VPN anyway. You can now sync between each machine, the host files you need to connect to each other. So you basically build up your own darknet, if you like, because only the host you're connecting to will know about all the other hosts that you're connecting to.
0: Right, right. And, of course, uh, DNS uh, is – there's several different DNS options for PFSense. Um, JBLive8754 is pointing out that uh, PFSense has Unbound as an option for PFSense servers. So there you go. Um, you know, I, I now that now that we've talked about this, I wonder if uh, maybe I might uh, not uh, tonight go give this a little try at, at the rover and see how it goes. I'll report back. Maybe. Well, you know what? Maybe if if it goes really well, I might make a segment on on Linux action.
1: Yeah, that sounds fun. I yeah. like watching that. Yeah, that'd be interesting.
0: So, uh, all right, uh, Mumble Room, Any closing thoughts before we move on? Any other DNS experts or DNS uh, experienced want to know? Going once, going twice. All right, very good. Very good. Good talk. Thank you guys for the information. And also, um, you know what I should do is I will include a link. uh, Let me go down here to the segment. At the bottom of the segment uh, in the show notes where we talked about Fedora 24, I will include a link to the issues with DNSSEC. So if you guys heard us mention that and you're curious what those issues are, I just added that link to the show notes so you can go. You can go read about that, S.
1: Maybe hey, you can poke Alan and you guys can do a follow-up on I just I wonder if Alan has any thoughts on I bet that. he does.
0: You and I are on the same page, my friend. Hey, I don't know if you noticed this, Wes, but uh, we relaunched the last jacket uh, Ooh, for a couple of oh, I think I
1: want one. I need one. You right? should definitely yeah, get right? one. How, how can, can I not have one, one? right now.
0: Yep. So uh, it is back. It is It is awesome. And uh, you can find them at uh, teespring.com slash last US. Or if you're across the pond and you don't want to have to pay exorbitant shipping amounts slash Last EU and here's the real shenanigans. You get in on that order right now because we're only running them until December thirteenth. It's going to ship in time for uh, the holidays.
1: Oh, yeah. so for your loved ones, yeah. Get you know, just Support put a the last, best
0: network. Put a last jacket in every every single stocking. Uh, but really, we have multiple colors, and uh, you can go grab yourself a jacket. These were maybe our most favorited item that we sold last year. We only run them for a limited time, and then they're all done. So go to Teespring.com Last. US or last EU. It is a collector's item and it keeps your tummy warm. And depending on how you zip <laughs> it up, no man boobs, which is really if you got man boobs, no man boobs. Cover your shame. <laughs> exactly what? No judgments, no judgments. And we also, uh, we also have a link on the sidebar at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Teespring.com slash last US and last EU. And the EU has better color options, so you could actually be in the US really? and order from the EU if you want to get like some crazy colors. Yeah. They've
1: got all the best stuff a over Teespring there. Teespring
0: got a good deal set up over there. Apparently they, apparently over there they know how to print and make sure it's real good. I see. Yeah, that's a thing. I want to tell you about something else that's a thing. It's one of my favorite sponsors, Linux Academy. I think this is a great fit for you guys because it's a great resource for you to go learn more about the systems we all love. What's great about Linux Academy is sort of what I think is great about Jupyter Broadcasting. And that might be one of the reasons why I think they're a great sponsor. Uh, they actually care about Linux and open source. Turns out when you actually care about Linux and open source and then you make content about Linux and open source, you do it better than other people because you actually live and breathe this stuff. You actually care about this and you follow it from day to day. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our special discount and support this show. It's a really good deal. Linux Academy freaking rocks. They got seven plus distributions you get to choose from. They got like almost 2,000 self-paced courses with videos and high quality contents you can download on the offline. Everything's backed by a nice CDN with HTML5 players. They have instructor help available for you whenever you need it, which is a really nice feature. They got labs they spin up on demand. They got the AWS courses for the Amazon stuff. And the reason why I mentioned that is I kind of found myself one time Having a client that all of a sudden was my responsibility and had AWS infrastructure, primarily around S3 at the time. Right. I did not really – that's not like Linux as we know it no. or anything like that. A, it has its own unique quirks It definitely system. does. It yeah. definitely does. Now, I've told this story before, but I can't remember the exact number now because it was several years ago. But when I was just sort of playing around on S3 trying to figure out how to do things before I went and charged them how to do it or even just said, yeah, I know how to do that. Right. You know, I actually want to see if I could do it. I think I racked up like a $300 bill on Ooh. AWS. It was something around Ouch. there. Yeah, It was ridiculous. So what's really cool is regardless of what you know, you're know, you learning Ruby, you're learning Nginx, you're learning IP tables, you're learning how to do basic development, or maybe you're learning AWS. They'll spin up the lab servers for you on demand. They have a really great interface. You can SSH right in and rock that S. They have scenario-based labs, which is really nice because that gives you really good hands-on experience. You'll work in their advanced live environments while completing these scenarios from beginning to end on live servers. Isn't that nice? Break somebody else's stuff. They have real-time feedback, too. They have great courses for the Red Hat certified courseware. And they have instructor help available at any time. Nice content, always getting updated, refreshed. You can keep track of your progress as you go along. They break things down into hourlies. It is really cool. They have an availability planner. So you can go into Linux Academy and say how much time you have availability and the, uh, how, how much time you have avail- available. And they'll automatically generate the courseware to match your time
1: availability. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, that seems pretty unique.
0: Dude. It's like, so flexible. Even in the holidays when things get busy, you can find a way to like sort of schedule in like a few hours, a couple hours on Tuesday. You know, dude, you know. Do it while you're listening to JB content. I'm going to listen to JB content for this hour while I have Unplugged going on in the background. I'm going to go do this. Yeah, you, you know what? Why not? Yeah, you can or, do
1: it all the time. Really. Or in the shower. Yep. You know, it's a thing. It's a shower A little thoughts. touch ta- tablet in there. <laughs> open up your SSH session. You're good to go. Heyo. That's why you need a pencil. So the other thing I think is really great is they have graded server
0: exercise. You can get your work evaluated while connected to a real server. Their courses include exercises where you log into a lab server and perform specific tasks. And Linux Academy automatically grades your actions, so you can see how well you did. Graded exercises are included in all Linux Academy memberships. They have a great st- technology stack; everything you'd want built around Linux, including some of the simple things like rsync or IP tables, or just basic Linux commands like tar. Like seriously, like fundamentals all the way up the entire stack, all the way up to the Red Hat stuff, Android development, Python, Ruby. Uh, PHP, Nginx, Apache. Now, I always go off on the list here, but you guys know all of the big technologies out there that are popular. Linux Academy probably knows
1: even more than you do. That's why they follow this stuff. They are following the heartbeat of open source. You know, like they they just see what people want. They're seeing what's popular and because they use it themselves. You know what? They should take that and run with it. They are following the heartbeat of open source. Linux Academy, Wes is just an idea guy.
0: You got to run with it. But he's going to give that to you. He's going to give that to you. We love you. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We ask you to go there because that supports the show, lets them know you heard about it here, and you can check out their services. But really, it gets you a, a phenomenal discount. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Okay, Wes. So you had an idea, which I once, once we started kicking it around, I was like, this is a great idea because there is a lot of stuff happening in this space. And, you know, when... um When you first started kicking around this idea, if I had a little more time, I was gonna go over to uh, the Computer Chronicles website and uh, I was I was gonna get a clip because you know we used to call the computer back in the eighties. What we now call PCs and laptops and desktop, they called mini and micro PCs, right? Because they weren't mainframes. Yes,
1: you could fit them in, you know, more than in one room, giant room, whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yes. So uh, now here we are uh, on the Linux Unplug show, and we're once again about to talk about micro PCs or mini PCs. Only now we mean something that isn't like an Intel-based. High-end, powerful desktop. No way. The history is repeating itself on the Linux Unplug show today. And uh, to start off the conversation, we want to talk about something that's kind of been big news over the last few weeks, and that's the Pi Zero. And uh, this video will introduce us well, to it.
6: Um, I've brought some props for today's video. Um, these are two computers from my childhood. It's a BBC Microcomputer. I bought one of these in 1989 for £220. This is a Commodore Amiga. I bought this in uh, uh, Christmas of 1992 uh, for £199 at Lewis's in Leeds. Um, when I bought each of these machines, I had to basically just drain all the money I had. I had to drain my bank account and my piggy bank, and you know all of my savings went into each of these machines at the time that I bought them. Um, when I was a kid, the high cost of computers like these was a real barrier to me learning about Computers, And really what we've been trying to do with Raspberry Pi is to uh, make sure that cost is never going to be a barrier to anyone who's interested in getting involved in coding. Um, when we launched Raspberry Pi, we took about a factor of five um, out of the out of the cost of a sort of typical low cost computer. Uh, but we still meet people for whom uh, you say, tell us that um, cost is a barrier to entry for them. Um, so lately, this year, uh, since the Raspberry Pi Two effort wound down uh, in February, we've been um, we've been asking ourselves what we could do to maybe take a little bit more cost out. Uh, and today, we're launching a new product. This is Raspberry Pi Zero. Um, this is a full fledged Raspberry Pi. Uh, we've got a. 2835 here, and half it so this is the same chip we used in Raspberry Pi 1, except upclocked a little bit, so it's about 40% faster. Got half a gig of RAM, uh, HDMI connector, SD card, USB to connect mouse and, uh, mouse and keyboard. Nice. And the same pinout, although it's not populated, the same GPIO pinout um, that we have on uh, on modern Raspberry Pis, on the B, the A, and the Pi 2. Um, this is going on sale today. We've made a few tens of thousands of these. This is going on sale today from our distributors at five bucks so
0: um five you just can't believe that five u.s greenbacks unbelievable unbelievable wes uh and i i just i look at this and i think holy crap this is the future we're living in now and uh i can't i just can't even wrap my head they've already sold out i believe i think they yeah yeah. from a lot of retailers yeah Yeah, which is just wow but they'll Uh, be back so the yeah, show, show, yeah. What's the magazine about? Days? What's the chat room talking about? The magazine. What's everybody talking about?
7: The magazine. Oh, this was awesome. That basically, but when they first announced they were going to do five dollar things, they also said, "Well, the the, the Pi Mag uh, magazine that was, it's a community magazine, and it's six dollars to purchase. If you purchased one uh, on the day or a couple days after, it was the the Pi Zero was attached directly to the magazine
3: cover."
1: So for like six bucks,
0: Actually,
3: you got a magazine. And- oh, my gosh. You, you buy the mag. So in the UK, when it came out, like every news agent sold out of the, uh, the magazine straight away because, you know, it's a free computer on the cover. Who wouldn't who wouldn't want that? Um, but if you're a subscriber to the magazine, you can you can still get it. Um, and also in the US, where they're coming a little bit later in the month, you can always you can get the Magpie magazine over there with the same Raspberry Pi on the cover.
2: We'll to go some those. people have some people have joked that you you buy a Pi Zero and you get a free magazine.
8: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if if I can just, if I can just remind everyone of my generation that uh, back in the day of early day computing, okay, you used to get cassettes on the front of magazines free with them. Now you're getting computers yeah. free on the front of and magazines. Yeah, and I remember when it was a big deal when, you got, cool a,
0: when you got a like, Linux format came with a CD with right. a Linux distro on there or something. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, this $5 computer has a 1 gigahertz ARM 11 processor, which was 40% faster than the first Raspberry Pi, 512 megabytes of RAM, a micro SD card slot, a mini HDMI socket for 1080p output with 60 frames per second, and, of course, it has the 40-pin GPIO header. We love that. And it has a unpopulated composite video header, and it is sixty-five nanometer, sixty-five meters, millimeters, sorry, by thirty millimeters by five millimeters. And it's not even. The, of course, there's the chip. It, now the chip is sort of been. Of course, the chip wasn't exactly as cheap as they originally said it was going to be. Right. Uh, but you also have things like we have right here in the studio. We have this uh, Omega Onion. In the box. uh, Alan has one of these. He's
1: been talking about this, too. You know, I hadn't heard too much about it, but that's a shame because these seem really cool.
0: Yeah, it was a Kickstarter I backed, and uh, how could I not back it after uh, they had this crazy, crazy, crazy great Kickstarter video? So uh, I want to talk about the Raspberry Pi Zero and also this Omega Onion. Check out their Kickstarter video.
11: There are two worlds. The real world and the digital. And then there's the cat world. Oh, the lovely cat world. The problem with the two worlds is that in order to connect objects in the real world with the digital world, you need to be a rocket scientist or some sort of physicist from the Manhattan Project. Or one of those brains in a jar. But not anymore. Meet Onion.
5: For the past year, we've been hard at work building something that's small, affordable, and really easy to use so that we can merge the two worlds together. We wanted to be like Tony Stark and be able to build whatever comes to our mind without learning how to build these things. And that is exactly why we created this, the Onion Omega. Thanks Oliver. It's a tiny computer with built-in Wi-Fi and it runs the Linux operating system. Heyo, we know this that. This little one. bad boy lets you create connected devices in environments that you're already familiar with, using tools such as SSH, Git, and NPM. And it also allows you to write software in Python, Node.js, PHP, or whatever language you feel comfortable with.
11: Node.js. You now have Whoa. the power to build anything you can imagine, such as smart home devices. Smart security drones drone security spiders spider that's amazing I want it or even a cat feeder a cat feeder that realizes your cat is too fat and then makes it exercise nice Uh, laser or if you don't want to build from scratch you can browse the onion app store for ready made apps
5: in fact, if you wanna see what you can build on the Omega right now, click on the live demo below and start to experience the Omega in real time. The Omega allows me to build things in
1: languages that, I'm, that I already know and using things that I'm familiar with, like callback functions. And I actually built this light bulb in just 10 minutes and it's remote controlled.
11: I really like working with the Onion Omega. It was really easy to use. I'm not a programmer or an engineer of any kind, but I went to the Onion app store and I downloaded and customized an app that allows me to draw images for my Facebook newsfeed and put them into a digital photo frame. She's a
0: high school teacher.
5: The Omega is almost ready for production. We're so close to realizing our vision of making the internet of things accessible to everyone. And we want you to be a part of our revolution and start inventing connected devices that will make our world a
11: smarter place. Right, Oliver? What happens when we connect the real world with the digital? Awesomeness. There you go, Wes. Are you ready to take part in the revolution? Do you want to unbox the
0: Onion yes, Omega? Yes, Have at it. There. Okay. So it comes in Ooh, a very small box. It's very smooth too. Nice <laughs> yes. premium cardboard. Here. The in-the-hand experience for the box is quite nice. I do agree. Yeah, and uh, it's got like a puzzle piece. It does. Top. It kind of comes apart. Yeah, because yeah, it has a, actually very much a puzzle piece top. It's literally a puzzle piece, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of hard to get open. And then three individual boxes. So there's the expansion dock right here. Yeah, very nice. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah, so it comes and then here's the actual uh here's the Omega box. So that's it's the Omega. Tiny. Yep, yep. And so th- I got the uh, mini dock and the expansion dock and that's where you can plug in different stuff. So I guess we can uh, here I will uh I will turn on the uh, the webcam. A uh, a limited uh limited exclusive treat on the Unplug show here. I'm going to pull the Omega out of the box right now. Look at how geez, It's even smaller than it looks in their Kickstarter video. It's unbelievable. It's smaller than the palm of my hand. Wow, look at that. Look at that. That That's That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And there's the expansion. Oh, my gosh. This is a tiny, tiny Linux computer. Wow, Wes. Oh, these docks are cool, too. Look at this thing. Here, I'll take that dock. Here you go. So this is the bigger... So there's two docks. There's a mini dock, and then there's the big boy expansion dock. And that's this one here. This is the big boy mini expansion. And, uh, yeah. So you plug in the Omega... To the top of the expansion dock right here, so it plugs into the top of the dock right here, and now it has all of the functionality that the dock has.
1: Dang, yeah. Which is which in this case is a USB port and then another set of expansions, which seems perfect if you're prototyping and you want to you want to use yeah. those things, but you're not ready to solder on headers. Isn't you know, that, you just... isn't that something? So you just snap it together. Wow. Alan was talking about this on the TechSnap pre-show.
0: Uh, wow, there's micro HDMI. Huh. Oh, dang. Yeah. So that's pretty much, so there's your USB port for your input, and there's your HDMI out right there. And it has Wi-Fi on
1: it. Man, you could just duct tape that behind your TV and uh, well, really go. Put Envy on this, and right? my, my problems are solved, sir. Exactly. <laughs> so it you- really seems to flirt with the, uh, you know, flirt with the border. Before, we kind of had the Arduino on one end of the spectrum and the Raspberry Pi on the other. And you yeah. have like, the full Linux experience, or you have, you're writing it in C++ yourself. And this is like, well, you can if you're familiar with Linux, but you're, maybe you're not an expert in microcontrollers. You can just deploy it right here, and mm-hmm. you're away you go. No kidding, Vert. You've had it. You you've had a chance
0: to play with it. What do you think?
8: Yeah, it's a really sweet tiny little pc it is and it is so easy to set up because basically when you power it on although be careful because the power switch is very fragile on the docks anyway yeah when you power it on okay it becomes its own self-access point it does so basically you just scan the wi-fi network find the you know omega whatever it is uh access point as ssd join it go to the web Configure it. Set your passwords. Set your, SSH, set your network, Set your other Wi-Fi networks, and it will basically uh, just reboot it right into a, a proper PC on your network. It's fantastic. That is That's really awesome. Real. It's running open um, WRT.
0: Okay, okay. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Uh, I, I think it's sort of astonishing because it's. I have the specs in the in the show notes. I just find it astonishing that it's it's getting to the point now where, you know, I just backed some project on freaking Kickstarter.
1: I believe Alan said he was making uh, he was setting up instructions for FreeBSD as yeah. well on this game, yeah. right? Which is awesome.
0: Yep. So, yeah, it ships with OpenWRT. It has a 400 megahertz processor, 64 megabytes of DDR2 RAM, 16 megabyte of flash. It's got 802.11 BGN on it. Hey, it has 18-port wow. GPIO. Yeah. It's, it's, I love – isn't it interesting how they list
1: Node.js as a supported thing? Well, that's important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wimpy, I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain because I know you've hinted before on some pre- and post-shows that – and I haven't gotten got, – I have quite not yet gotten the complete picture, but the Raspberry Pi is starting to play a more and more important
2: role for the Ubuntu Mate distro, isn't it? It's our most popular platform.
0: Wow. So you mean the, you mean other than x86
2: or including x86? It's more popular than 64-bit, 32-bit x86 and Power Holy PC shit. That's crazy. Serious? Wow. <laughs> oh, My world has just been rocked. Are you kidding me? No, it's downloaded about 1,200 times a day, the image for the Pi 2.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Wow. That's serious. That is... Yeah. that is. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it means that in the last two releases of Ubuntu Mate, I've done the work for the Pi version in the last month of the release. Right. But for this release, it's got even... Um, you know, it's being treated equally all the way through the development stage. Now,
0: I I feel like I need to take a minute. Like I wasn't ready for that level of a bomb to be dropped. Uh, I don't know why I didn't know that because I kind of feel like I should have known that. But I, to me, is shocking to me. Actually, I've,
7: I've actually I've actually been paying attention to a lot of communities around Raspberry Pi and you know Reddit or Google Plus and various different places. And the majority of times, people ask what to put on the pie. Uh, no, Raspbian is no longer even mentioned. Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate is always the first choice.
0: I mean, it using.
1: makes it makes it sense. does make. Sense. I mean, it's way more pleasant to use than the yeah.
7: defaults, and it looks pretty.
0: Wimpy, that's a that's a big deal though. I mean, congratulations because that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Uh, and so, when you look at these types of devices, are you starting to say, "All right, this these aren't just sort of toys. These are going to become possibly the next open PC." Now, uh, hold on. Before I, I want to make sure I'm framing this right, but when I look at tablets and phones, I get a little sad because they look locked down and glued together. And I, I, I remember a time when I was in high school and I scraped together parts for months and months and months and built my first PC. I went and picked out my own case and it was it was it was a life moment for me. And you learned a lot. Along the way. A ton of stuff. And I read – I read. I mean it was really my first geek project that I really researched and all that kind of stuff. And now I look at this Onion Omega here and I'm sitting here like Legos building a PC and I think, jeez, I could give this to my kid. And right. he could play Minecraft on this and – or maybe not this one but the Raspberry Pi Zero. I mean I, I this is maybe getting to the point now where uh, – it is actually going to be something that has some serious long term legs as a serious desktop contender. And one more thing, Wimpy, before I toss it back to you is, I in the uh, late '90s had a conversation with a guy named Scott, really great guy, and his job, his day job, was to run an IBM mainframe, and he looked down at um, desktop PCs as toys uh, that couldn't do real work, that didn't weren't powerful <laughs> enough, and he called he called. The desktops? Uh, oh, you mean those Mattel inside PCs? Those Mattel inside because they were toys, right? And you know, and I look at the Omega and I go, "Oh, this is a cute Lego toy." But actually, maybe I'm looking at it from Scott's perspective. And when you when Wimpy says he's getting over a thousand downloads a day, Wimpy, I'm wondering, are you looking at this and are these mini PCs, these Raspberry Pis, and these Omegas and and Bagelbone and all whatever? Are you looking at this and going, "This might actually be something that gets wider adoption use than the traditional PC one day."
2: I think so. Certainly if you look outside of the developed nations, I think this is going to be the print the arm-based um devices are going to be the principal computing platform. And if you're not doing stuff on arm, you'll be irrelevant.
0: Wow. Bad time to own Intel stock. Yep.
2: No. I think that will that will be relevant. It'll be a different market and different use case, but yeah. I think that we we we've not seen the extent to which ARM is going to be relevant for for Linux adoption, and in particular Linux as a, a learning platform.
0: Uh, Kits and Kitty, you kind of point out. I mean, this these kind of machines get the basic work done, and well, that kind of solves a lot of people's problems, don't, doesn't it? Doesn't it?
10: Yeah, uh, I was just thinking. You know, what do ninety percent of what you do on a computer consist of? Web browsing email, editing a text file, that kind of thing. Maybe watching a YouTube video. The Pi can handle all that.
0: Yeah, and so, uh, and it's not even, see, I think what I used to brussel at is I used to feel like we were talking down, and I kind of hmm, I wonder if I still do feel that way. So, uh, something that, that Carl said a few times during our visit at System 76 is one of the things that their basic Market research keeps and market research being you know being being in a business for ten years selling PCs. Uh, one of the things that they have really learned, maybe even the hard way, is you can always err on the side of giving people more powerful computers. Like there's n- there's never going to be a day where people don't need more powerful systems. And so I guess I, I kind of had that Scott like view where I looked at this and go well these 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 little toy computers will never be powerful enough. But that is sort of looking at it in a in a perspective where there isn't lots of different cloud options when you need to spin up like a droplet to do something really powerful or throw it on Google Engine or whatever the hell, Azure, I don't care. Uh, there's a lot of different options there when you need really, really, really high-end compute. And there's a lot of options when you when you need really, really local, you know, something local really high-end. You can still have a desktop. But there are so many, so many use cases where I've worked with people where their primary job is checking email. Um, you know, doing doing things on their corporate applications, which are sometimes web applications, sometimes not. And they do all of these things that are really sort of low-end tasks. And it's not to be – I'm not trying to be rude. I just – like that's just all they use these particular quote-unquote tools for. And so why what, – What what does it take then? What does it take to make it from the hobbyist project? To actually something that consumers could actually start start buying. Like why don't we have why don't we have a Best Buy that has more ARM laptops and desktops uh, on the shelves than they do x86 machines? Why isn't Lenovo selling uh, a, a, an ARM an ARM laptop? Why isn't HP and Dell selling an ARM laptop that we're all buying? And 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 before we go there, I also I know, I'll have you answer that first, Wes, but before we go there, you found this again. This is a perfect example of where the Raspberry Pi is really cool. But this is a straight up hobbyist project. I like it, and so I'm going to point it out to the audience so right. they can read more about it. But it's it's a great it's a great example of where the Raspberry Pi is being used today. And it's it's this is not even an Uncanny Valley issue. This is way far removed from what consumers want. Anyways, this is uh, you can make it. You can take a Raspberry Pi and a Wi-Fi dongle and basically turn it into like a remote AirPlay receiver or uh, audio receiver. So th- you can use a couple of projects that reversed Apple's AirPlay. Right. Um, protocol and actually stream to this instead of having to go get like a really expensive device. If you have iOS devices in the house and you want to stream audio, you can do it with this Raspberry Pi.
8: Yep, it's pretty cool. I
10: I think that it's because a lot of people don't know that it's an option. But if you show them that hey, there's this thirty five, you know, the fifty dollar option that you can utilize instead of spending a thousand dollars on a workstation, I think people would go for it if they knew what it was actually capable of. Uh,
0: I. Mm, I don't agree. Do you agree? I don't. It's agree. a
10: smart. It's a smart business
6: decision. Here's,
0: the, here's why. Because this is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. Is this is what I'm asking you? Is and Wes, I'll let you have the first answer, and then we'll throw it to the moment room. Why? Why is nobody picking up on this? Why is Leno- so Lenovo today can take a Intel spec motherboard an Intel CPU? They can build a PC from parts that they assemble themselves in a the housing, and then they ship. Why can't they take something like that Raspberry Pi or something just like it and build their own version, put it in a case
1: with a great keyboard, and ship it? Why is that not happening? I'm not sure that they – I mean, I think you could do it. But I don't know if they see the opportunity in terms of operating systems. I mean, mm. I think that Android isn't there as a desktop operating system. Maybe if they had partnerships with like – I mean, I think what we see is Chrome is it OS, that right? Android isn't there or is it that Google creeps people out? Well – Maybe both. And I think, like, you know, for the main people who are using desktop, they're comfortable with Windows. Um, you know, the newer one, maybe they can now that, like, Raspberry Pi 2 will run Windows Windows 10, right? So there may be an avenue there. Hmm. But oh, but I wonder well, if they, okay. they don't incredibly see, like, something they can pre-build down. well. Hmm.
7: What was that, Rod? It's an incredibly stripped down Windows 10. It's not really Windows 10. That's yeah. a good point.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wimpy, uh, you think there's, like, that one piece, really, that's holding it up?
2: Well, not that's holding it up, but I think that, um, for example, the the things that I run into most with the question and answers for Ubuntu Mate on the Pi 2 is, can I run Flash on it? Which you can't, because there are no Flash binaries for ARM Linux. Um, Can I run Wine on it? No. Or yes, you can kind of compile it in a certain way and it runs really badly. Um, and you get those sorts of questions, and people aren't aware that it is just because it runs Linux doesn't mean it runs everything that you're used to running on, you know, uh, Intel. So X86, don't call it a, Linux. Call it
0: something. I mean, right, Google, we're so used to Wintel. Google got away with that by calling yeah. them Chromebooks.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, and 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 to some extent also, you know, rolling their own version of Flash to bridge bridge one of those. Yeah, games. yeah that too. Yeah. But you know, if you're Lenovo or Dell you've been selling to a traditional audience of x86 users who will be expecting to use the same or similar software, and when some of it's not available, then maybe that's um, that's a tough call. But, you know, so they're, they're selling um, Chromebooks, and some of those in the Far East are um, ARM-based now.
3: Yes, yes. It's worth pointing out that the things that are not available are the evil proprietary things. Yeah, it's not uh, and also free software. legacy that's all built. as well.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, and we were just discussing, you know, this average just basic work type task type work where the computer is a tool, they might not care as much about some of these things. In fact, in a work environment, not having flash is a security advantage and a work productivity advantage, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like legitimately. Uh so I I guess I still I don't I don't feel like we have fully answered that question. Uh I don't know what it is exactly.
9: I think uh, the the problem is that we look at it different, uh We present it actually the wrong way because we present it as the replacement for a PC, right? Uh, whereas we shouldn't be telling people that because it's, well, it's not capable of everything you can do on your desktop like computer. Like GIMP,
0: GIMP is not a replacement for Photoshop. It is a separate line of tool that is available.
9: Yes. But what you should show people is, like, this is a cool thing that you could use to browse Facebook with, right? Or put up in your kitchen and look up recipes with. And all you need is, a, you know, some screen and something to, you know, a keyboard and a mouse and you have your tiny computer in your kitchen, right? And then you can show them that, look, this, what you've considered to be just a recipe looking app device is also capable of those other things. Instead of showing them that this is a computer that's not capable of all the other things that you are right. using your computer that's,
0: for. That's actually pretty good insight because that's why the smartphone has been so successful is because it was – as far as it was replacing the dumb phone, which was a, yes. not a high bar. And so you could like – Apple could launch uh, their overpriced iPhone that didn't even have copy-paste support for like two OSs. Because the bar wasn't that high. Right. And when you come in and you say, I'm replacing the PC,
1: well, guess what? Pretty high freaking bar. Pretty high. That makes sense. It's Have you high. seen what PC can do? Yeah. I mean, PC do what? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Wes. Screw you. <laughs>
0: that is the worst <laughs> advertising campaign ever. Uh, but it worked. Son of a gun. All right, uh, Vert, you want to talk about the future, uh, making everything a little bit smarter. Go ahead.
8: Yeah, well, basically, with this kind of dropping computing and more specifically sophisticated computing, it means these little devices like the Pi Zero or the Omega uh, can now be turned into a general purpose kind of smart sensor or smart device that can be plugged into the- anything, basically, you know, displays, well, uh, light switches, like this switches, article toasters, that, uh, whatever uh, you want to plug it into.
0: This article that Wes found before the show is, you know, you take a simple speaker and now all of a sudden – this is a quote unquote. I mean, if I was in the industry, a smart speaker because it can receive Bluetooth or AirPlay or DLNA audio, Pulse Pulse will
1: multicast as well, or yes. MPD. Yeah, like. in fact, this is actually using Pulse
0: well, to right. send yeah, from your
8: I, Linux box. Uh, I mean, a classic classic example of that is, of course, is now I actually have a Pi acting as a alarm clock uh, nice. for my partially sighted father because he can't necessarily see the display all the time and so he wants to be able to hear it. So it's a talking clock. And um, because now it's a talking clock connected to the internet, it can now read things like emails and can now do other things that it wouldn't have been able to do. That as a great
0: clock. or horrible. So yeah.
8: That's what small computing does for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, Wimpy, uh, I, I also uh, have noticed, especially when it comes to a demographic that I'm intimately familiar with, my children, there is some se- essential use cases that the Pi is totally capable of like things like YouTube or Minecraft. And that is pretty a, poor, a huge core audience, wouldn't you think?
2: Yes. One it can do and one it can kind of do. So when I've been going along to the Pi jams, uh, I've been uh, taking an Ubuntu Mate setup and getting makers and other people you know, visitors to come and have a look and have a play and give me their feedback. And it's interesting that when the kids go on it, they basically want two things. They want to be able to play Minecraft and they want to watch YouTube. And if it doesn't do that, it's irrelevant. That's that's the end of a discussion.
0: And it has to be able to play Minecraft without quote unquote leg. Right. And leg yeah. is frame yeah. drops, I guess. I don't know exactly what <laughs> yeah. leg is,
2: but So there is there is a Minecraft um version for the Pi. It's the Minecraft Pi edition which is a bit like the uh, pocket edition of um, minecraft ah but it comes with um, python bindings so you can um you know you can program it and what have you um and youtube um at the moment we don't have the fully accelerated graphics driver for the for the chip that's on the broadcom sock in the pi so um that's all software at the moment and that's a bit poor but um I've embedded a utility in Ubuntu Mate where you can suck down – you can visit YouTube within Firefox and pull the mm. – cut and paste the URL, and then it will stream the URL into the IMX player, which is the hardware-assisted player. So you get right. the full hardware-assisted full-screen playback streaming I, from YouTube.
0: Clever. So uh, actually, you're kind of getting into my next segment. Our our, our next segment is, is really some clever tricks to avoid having to use Flash altogether, partly because – arm but also because of adobe's announcement this week so uh pause right there wimpy and let's pick that back up because that's actually a perfect segue to our next segment so i'll mention the perfect telco friends it actually exists because their business model is different ting is mobile that makes sense ting is an mvno of a couple of different networks so instead of like getting all involved in like digging the trenches installing the towers running the fiber Fighting the local city council to make sure they can actually run a tower right there, which is an unbelievable fight. Contracting with the designers to design the tower and all and it's interesting, as a contractor, I've worked at each stage of the process for the and watched telco it's interesting. When a telco comes into an area, it's both an amazing investment for the local businesses. Uh, and it is, it is just a nightmare for the telco. So it's an incredible investment for the local businesses when a telco wants to put a tower in because they're going to have to trench and run fiber to that location. And a lot of times they'll resell that fiber to all of the other local businesses in that area. But can you imagine the administrative overhead just to manage that? But at the same time, like there's all of the local rules like – you know, uh, like oh, for here, it's the uh, PUD. It's our, it's our public utilities yep. that they have to like get approval from where the polls can be at and all this kind of stuff. Then they have to take it to an ARC architecture firm that designs the tower, the tower then gets approved by the local city, which then goes off to the state to get approved, and then and it's all paying, writing checks the whole way. That writing sounds checks. like a lot of work. Writing checks, right? So uh, what Ting has done is they write on top of all of that. So that's why they're able to invest in the customers. So the other guys have done the work there, and now they need somebody to come along and actually get some customers on it. That's where Ting comes in. So it's $6 a month for the line, flat rate, right there, and then it's just your usage on top of that. No contract nor the termination fee. And because Ting isn't out there digging ditches, they're able to have fanatical customer service. They're able to have a great website, and they're able to charge incredibly low rates. And if you're just like a little bit savvy with how you use things, you can get by with unbelievable rates. So I've got three phones that I pay every single month for on Ting. The bill is like around 40 bucks a month. 40 bucks a month for three phones, smartphones. It's ridiculous. It's actually, it makes sense. And there's no contract, there's no early termination fee. And they have a GSM and CDMA network you can take advantage of. So if you know what that means, then you're probably clever enough to figure out which one's better in your area and just go with that one. And it also probably means you've got a device that's compatible with Ting. And Ting has a brand new app you can get on the Android Marketplace, the Android Play Store. To check to see if it's compatible with Ting, to get all of the information, they made it easier than ever. They have the new, brand new Ting compatibility checker. Whoo! Guess what? I didn't see this earlier. Kyra's here to tell us all about it too. Let's if go, girl!
12: To check a phone to see if it's compatible with Ting, this is the app you'll need. All right. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting download. Yeah. Woo! The Ting compatibility checker app for Android. Well, checks your phone's compatibility with Ting. It doesn't do anything else. Yeah. It's beautifully simple, if we do say so ourselves. It's also a very small download. It's intended to be used once and then uninstalled. At less than 1.5 megabytes, you won't have to worry about deleting other apps to make space for this one. Smart. Here's how it works. Install the app and open it up. Cha-cha-cha. Tap to check your phone. The app pulls your phone's unique serial number, IMEI. Right. And runs it against the database of phones that'll work. It only takes a second. One second. Once the process finishes, you'll find out right away. <laughs> if your phone is compatible, you'll also get info on which network services it will support. Boom. As you'd expect, the app is free and you can grab it from the Google Play Store. All right. The Ting compatibility checker is Android only. iPhone currently doesn't allow apps to pull specific phone info. Huh. But you can always use the web-based compatibility checker at check On your desktop or mobile browser. All right. It's almost as simple. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.
1: Wow. Did it just get easier than ever to switch to Ting? Look at I think them. it did.
12: Look at them. That's thinking.
1: Well, and did I hear that they have their SIM cards on Amazon now? They do. Amazon Prime at that, and you just pop them
0: in a device, check them out. Dang. So all you got to do is go to linux.ting.com to support this show and get yourself a discount. Go check them out. Linux.ting.com. And now it's easier than ever to bring an Android device. Interesting. iPhone not letting you get access to the information. Hmm. hmm. I wonder which one protects your privacy. Anyways, (laughs) linux.ting.com. Go get yourself a great device. And then would you tweet me and tell me about how much you're saving? Because you're going to want to tell somebody
1: and share it with your bro. Chris will always listen. Just contact him 24-7. He doesn't mind, especially when he's doing shit. Just call me directly. All right, so let's talk about Adobe Killing Flash.
0: Well, the name. Uh, Not really Killing Flash. Uh, But, you know, if you got yourself Creative Cloud... Heads up, they're going to rename your application, so watch out, everybody. Big changes coming down the pipe. A new name. A new name. Really excited about that. And they're going to make an emphasis on uh, HTML5, nine-binary output. How about that, everybody? You're really, really excited now, aren't you? Are, you? are you amped up? If you're not amped up enough, well, there's this French guy. And this French guy, uh, he's got a really, really, really shallow depth of field, and he wants to tell you all about it.
13: Hello, my name is Michael Chaz. I'm a Creative Cloud Evangelist based in Paris and a longtime interactive designer. With the growth of HTML5 demand for animation formats that leverage web technologies has grown, and the Flash Pro team has responded, adding first-class support for exporting animations to HTML5. Oh, in shit. order to clearly define the role of this application as the premier animation tool for the web and beyond, I'm very excited to announce that Flash Professional is being renamed to Adobe Animate CC. Adobe Animate CC. And Adobe
0: Animate CC will be... You know, can I just stop here? Did you notice how he says the word Adobe? I want to play that back just for a second. And Adobe Animate CC... A- Adobe. Adobe. Uh, the only reason I mentioned that is last week you and I were trying to come up with how you say hat in French. Yes. And we got so much shit for how we tried to say hat in French. Well, how about an Adobe employee in France that can't even pronounce the company he works for, you guys? You give me crap all the time. Well, what's up? This guy works for
1: Adobe. He doesn't work there anymore. Not after that.
0: I'm just saying. Like, they're giving me a hard time because I can't say hat in French. Meanwhile, this dude works for Adobe, and he calls it Adobe. Right? But it's fine because he's French. Now, Chris, who speaks English, isn't allowed to mispronounce anything. But this guy, that's fine. He's French. We don't care. He's French. Chris, it's not a big deal because he's French and he's in Paris and there was a
13: terrorist attack, so don't give him a hard time because he calls it Adobe. There's not a big deal. What are you talking about? Nouns that Flash Professional is being renamed to Adobe Animate CC.
0: Okay, now you can't unhear it, can you? you Adobe. See? You Adobe. see what I'm
13: saying? And Adobe Animate CC will be available in early 2016. We are not just changing the name. We are adding significant new features for professional animators. Let me show you what we are working on. You will be able to browse and license millions of illustrations, photos, and vector graphics. Adobe Stock is directly integrated within the tool thanks to the power of Creative Sync. Same for Creative Cloud libraries. You can access colors, vector shapes, and brushes directly within Animate CC. All right,
0: so there you go. So this is, they're going to call it Animate. And they're going to have Animate CC for the application to use. And the uh, idea is Adobe is going to de-emphasize FLV and that kind of stuff and sort of re-emphasize HTML5 output but using Adobe tools to make that said HTML5 output. I don't know what to think about this. So what I thought is let's just – Figure out how to stop using the Flash plug-in altogether. And that's Chris's solution. So you really want to kill Adobe Flash, or I'm sorry, Adobe Flash, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And so I wanted to give my couple of tips, and I want to see maybe what you do to avoid using Flash, and then we'll toss it the bumble room. So I mentioned these on Sunday's show, but my two top tips to avoid using Flash, first of all, don't install it. Second of all, <laughs> use live streamer to watch things that are in yes. Flash. Or if you want to watch the JB live stream, <clears throat> grab the RTMP or RTSP and throw that to MPV. That MP- helps Alan get paid. <clears throat> well, and, well you, we, live streamer, I don't think we'll do the JB live stream. Okay. So live streamer will do like Twitch and Ustream. Right. You could watch the, we do have a broadcast on Ustream at ustream.tv or whatever, ustream.com, whatever the URL is, slash channel slash Jupiter Broadcasting. And you could pipe that into live streamer. And it, pipe that you could you could pull that into live streamer, and it will it will work, but the the built in embedded one on the jblive.tv page doesn 't work with live streamer, but RTMP on RTSP work beautifully in MPV yep. so you just you know on the command line you type MPV and then you paste that link and it starts streaming fFmpeg will record from those
1: or hLs beautifully right to, as well
0: right to a file hLs as well uh, and then on a, then of course uh, something that I use all the time is uh, mini tube and YouTube DL, which is a great way to pull video files off of YouTube without having to use Flash. Um, and then my go-to solution is, instead of having Flash installed system-wide, if I have to, have to, have to use Flash, I use Chrome. And Chrome comes with Flash built in, and I just keep it there in their little sandbox, and that's where it stays. And if a website requires Flash, like YouTube management tools, then I just use Chrome. What about
1: you? What, how do you avoid using Flash when you need to? You know... I have to echo up pretty much everything you said. I was just talking with my parents, and they were kind of freaked out. Firefox is warning them about the vulnerabilities in Flash, and you know they don't quite know what that means. And I found myself just saying, "Well, if you have Flash problems, you should probably just use Chrome." And I haven't said that before, but that's that's where we're at. I think is just you, mm-hmm. know, you just use Chrome, you use that for that page, mm-hmm. and you're done. Wimpy, um, you have a trick for getting HTML5 playback on
0: YouTube?
2: Yeah, this is not so much about what you as a user can do, but what you as a you know a content publisher can do so where, if you embed youtube clips in a website or social media and all the rest of it um, if you add the html5 um, option to the embed url it forces the clip to use the html5 playback Rather than Flash by default.
0: Oh, that Very is really nice. good to know. That is great
3: to know.
2: I will also. So add I went that. through all my sites and you know added that to everything after the last round of you know Flash vulnerabilities when nobody mm. can access Flash for about a week. Smart. I added that.
1: That's beautiful. Uh, some older versions of Flash or or players that haven't been updated will save temporary files that uh, if you want to watch the video but you don't want to use the Flash interface. It will download it to temp, the temp folder, hmm. but it will delete them. Hmm. But it it still has that file handle open, yeah. so the proc file system will show that to you. So you yeah, can then you, you can, can then just copy it right out of it. <laughs> so you still have to have Flash installed for that. Yeah. But if you want to kind of archive clips off some websites that maybe live streamer doesn't that's work, for. that's a nice trick. You can do that. it. Doesn't some Whoa. some don't work for that, but damn, a handful Wes. do.
0: That's a nice way to pretty much grab I'll have to anything. find a link for that. <clears throat> okay, okay,
7: yeah. yeah. There's actually a lot of stuff you can do with YouTube DL that are a lot more than people think they can. So the name of it implies just YouTube. Sure. But right. There's about 200 different things it works for. It's with. amazing, yeah. So I don't even use live streamer because most of the stuff I use, YouTube DL works. So if you want to watch a uh, Twitch.tv stream, you just use YouTube DL with MPV or technically just use MPV and it works.
0: Now when you say technically use MPV, are you talking, are you doing like –
7: how simple is it? No, MPV and then you put just, the
0: Twitch URL in there. What are you doing?
7: Yeah, it's MPV. That's really? A- RL. Awesome. Yeah. Really? All, all you need is YouTube DL installed and then MPV detects YouTube DL and then parses it through perfectly fine and you don't have to do anything. Oh, actually.
1: snaps. I am doing that. I want to say I don't think it's in a lot of repos yet. And I, I was just asking Wimpy about this in IRC as well. But uh, it, I see a release note from MPV saying that they support the hardware decoding yeah. on Raspberry Pi 2. I haven't ever tried oh, that. I think oh, it I might be in the Arch Arm repos. Maybe Mumble Room was more. But that would be a pretty, pretty neat combination sure. right there.
2: Normally when there's um, Pi compatibility for video playback, you, you can't just rebuild the source package from the Intel versions because right. you actually need to explicitly link it to uh, the OMX um, libraries, for example. Yeah. So it usually requires a little bit of messing about. With it. I haven't looked at it yet. I was aware, but I haven't tried it. If, if you're talking about YouTube, there's a couple of utilities. There's also Minitube which is a desktop client for Linux for browsing YouTube, which doesn't require Flash. And there's another one called YouTube Viewer. And YouTube Viewer is, um, you know, a desktop client for YouTube and behind the scenes it pulls everything down and streams it either via MPV or uh, MPlayer or something like that. So it's got different backends it can use to actually view YouTube on the desktop. So that's another way to dodge Flash.
0: Right. Good point. Good point. Excellent. Uh, I, okay. Now, Kitson Kitty is pointing out the elephant in the room that I didn't realize until just now, uh, but uh, there is a large use case for Flash when it comes to porn, Kitson, and you're mentioning that uh, there is certain workarounds for that too, right?
10: Yes. Uh, apparently, I have heard that uh, from a friend, YouTube from a DL... Works great on RedTube.
0: I mean, I didn't actually think about it beforehand, but that's a legit – so um, – Is that Google's new service you're talking
2: about?
10: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yes, mean, it, it certainly is. It's, it is the un- – so,
0: there is an uncomfortable truth, and the tr- that uncomfortable truth is Linux makes for a fantastic porn platform. You can quote me on that, but the reason is, is on Windows – You are legitimately constantly exposed to all kinds of different phishing attacks and scams and and malware that gets drive-by downloaded – that is really not a problem on Linux. Horny internet browsers will click on anything. So, and if you know if somebody should probably, maybe there already is, should make a live CD around this premise. To be honest with you, because uh, maybe it comes with a sexy background. It is a showcase. Fun, it is a showcase sound. desktop environment because it, you can get all the codecs on there. You can get Flash, and you don't have any of
7: the vulnerabilities. Yep. I'm just are you point- saying someone should make a porn too? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Someone should make one of those ads. This one cool trick makes your porn browsing experience better. Yeah. You know, you could sell some Linux on (laughs) BuzzFeed.
10: Is it just me, or am I the only person that has noticed that sex online is just as dangerous as sex in real life? Yeah, more so. More so.
1: More so, I think actually, yeah. One one trip, so, trick for that is if you use a browser uh, user agent changer, because a lot of porn sites want to support mobile, oh. and they have to then a lot of times use HTML5 or mobile supported. Oh, interesting. Thing. So if you if you pretend you're like an Android device or you an can iPhone, usually get a
7: link to some kind of MP4. That's great for someplace. all kinds cool. of sites. Yeah. I just did some. I'll, I'll I'll put I'll give this to you so you can put it in the show notes. But I found the uh, supported sites list from YouTube DL. Oh yeah, it's massive. No, I linked it. I linked it
0: in. Yeah, I linked it in uh, Sunday's Linux Action Show. Yeah, uh, well, it's...
7: there's there's uh, quite a few uh, adult oriented uh, mm-hmm. solutions. I noticed that. Uh, when... The only one I'm interested in is, is Adult Swim, of course. <laughs> of course,
0: right? That's the only adult <laughs> site you care about. And you know, I just, uh, I, I guess, I, I guess if we're being completely, genuinely honest, that is a, that is a legitimate use case for Flash. Yeah. And it is something that keeps people using it, I guess. Which I hadn't considered until we started talking about this. But it's the elf in the room, and there
1: are solutions for that as well. Well, I think they are that industry is kind of you know, they kind of pioneered that. They had a lot of video content to deliver, and Flash at that time was the only thing that could do it. Your tip about
0: mobile is a good one, though, because uh, I've read a couple of different articles on how high. Uh, what a high percentage mobile traffic is for those types of I sites. Bet, yes, it's you're very... bored on the
1: butt. I mean, wow,
0: I, wow, wow. Okay. Not me. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's uh, no. I guess uh...
12: zombies don't run Linux.
0: <laughs> so there you go. There is plenty of ways Flash can be dead today if you just take action, friends. And we all, all of us, can make a difference. You can't go vote and make a difference. Just ask Adam ruins everything. Good show, by the way. But you can make a difference by not running Flash. You can also make a difference by going to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and submitting stories, topic ideas, or open source projects you think we should know about. Also, feedback for episode 121 over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We've also got a live stream. I don't know if you knew about that. Over at jblive.tv, we do the show on Tuesdays. Probably only a couple of more this year. Like yeah. Three!
3: Wow!
1: Yeah, you better catch them. Be here live!
0: Yeah, and we've also got that mumble room. We love hanging out with our mumble room, getting their live insights. We really mean it. It's our virtual lug, and you can take part of that and share your thoughts. Just head over to jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. Get it converted to your local time zone. That's jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. Don't forget about that contact page while you're on our website, and go check out previous episodes. We got a whole bunch. Avoid the family over the holidays. That's my personal
1: recommendation. Hang out, you know, talk about Linux. It's way more fun.
0: There you go. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week. We go. We went there, but it was. I think I just felt like you know what. All of a sudden, we should probably be honest. This is a genuine use case for flash. So we did it. Yep. yep. We happened. We had uh, to go there. So I wanted to uh, take a couple of minutes here in the post show and uh, just sort of invite the mumble room to jump in on open source projects they're thankful for. But let's do it. Uh, let's do it like we're still doing it in the show, so that way we don't all talk over each other. So tag me first in the chat room and with mum, and then we'll go for there. But uh, I wanted to just. I know this is probably going to come up, but there was so many projects I could have been thankful for. Uh, Wes, I, I I realized Tink might be on your list.
1: Yes, it definitely is.
0: So I I wanted to play with that more. I think I definitely want to play. Is there any others that are on top of your mind for
1: your list? Hmm, that's a good question. You think about it. I'll I ask. will think about it. All, All right. So uh, right?
0: Vert, you can go ahead and uh, oh, actually, nope. Sorry, Wimpy was first. Wimpy, go ahead. You have your
2: project. You're thankful for. Open SSH. Good one. Very good. I can't imagine life without it. Seriously. It's so versatile.
0: Seriously. Yeah, it is maybe one of the most useful open source projects for all of us, like just broad spectrum. Great one. Uh, Great. Vert, do you want to mention OwnCloud?
8: Yeah, I mean, it's really kind of changed my uh, entire workflow now because I never really bought into the whole Google Cloud services stuff. And so when ownCloud Cloud came along, I started syncing calendars and appointments and everything else between me and my family. And, yeah, it's just been a really great store in that sort of sense. And I'm
0: just so glad
3: for
8: it now.
0: Good point. All right, chat room, don't forget jbtitles.com. Let's pick our title. Uh, hey, Citizen, uh, you're sort of our resident uh, Jack uh, um, showcase. Uh, so I'm curious to hear what you're thankful for.
9: Well, yeah, definitely thankful for Jack, um, the audio connection kit uh, that helps you. Or is it necessary for doing uh, any professional audio on Linux. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's something that is probably going to be. I'm going to have to learn more about it in 2016.
1: Yes. Expect some JB deep dive, I've, I've been sure. putting it off, but you know, you hear "Hey Citizen" there, and uh, I have some coworkers who are playing with it. It just it seems like a ton of fun. And yeah,
0: that's a very powerful.
1: One. Yeah, and also Lilypond. Tell me about that.
9: Yeah, um, Lily Pond is uh, a, another great app. i um, very thankful for it. Musical notation. Um, it's kind of like the LaTeX of, uh, of music.
0: Okay. Lily Pond. I will Google that. Um, Kitson, oh my God. The most obvious one that I use for every single show. All of our hosts use it, and I didn't think of it. Kitson, go ahead.
10: Markdown. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Seriously. Markdown, you know what? Here's why Markdown is great. At the end of the day, I can just be fle- free flow, like, you know, Mr. Creative Genius, just writing like a madman, and I don't have to worry about, like, links. Like, this is a big deal because I can just – I'll just put something in a bracket, and then I'll just do, uh, you know, open parenthesis, close parenthesis, and I'll just keep typing. And then 20 minutes later, I'll go back and get the URL. Yep. And then I can cite. So I know the references in my head, but I just don't have the URL handy. So I can keep writing and just quickly bang out stuff, you know, format it in Markdown, and then put it out in consistent – Perfect HTML every single time,
1: and there's tons of services that will just render that to whatever you want.
0: So many, I mean, oh man, Markdown is is really is really a good one. So
7: yeah, so I I like the. uh, Go ahead, sorry.
10: Yeah, I like the uh, interoperability uh, between Markdown and all the applications that are out there for it, and that's actually what switched me over from using Org mode because with Org mode it was just Emacs.
0: Oh, man. Rotten Corpse, you have VirtualBox. That's a good one. Uh, yep. Kushi. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Encryption, so- encryption S- software. That's a good one. So, yeah. I think we should all thank the
1: people who write uh, encryption software that yeah. makes it possible to, for us to communicate yep. safely. and Big like, picture. TV it's and, a big deal. And, yeah. Yeah. and also the people who who come up with the ciphers and other like cryptographic primitives mm-hmm. and make them uh, public
0: domain. domain and right, and share with everybody. And, yeah. yeah That's a great point. Like, uh, I'll, I'll give uh, – we'll, we should probably wrap up with these because this list could go on all day, but I've got to give <laughs> the last one to pope because
3: FFmpeg is close to my heart. Yeah, I, I chose FFmpeg, but really I want to thank Fabrice Bellard, the guy who started mm. FFmpeg, mm. and also QEMU. Because both of them are just amazing pieces of software. And from, you know, from, okay, they've got loads of contributions. But from one guy to start those two projects, the guy's a genius.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. All right. So uh, I'm going to finish. I'm trying to finish this beer. So if anybody else drinking with me today? Well, Wes is. Anybody else have a beer?
4: Got to finish this thing. Tea. Does that count? I, too, am drinking
1: tea. I'm drinking bulletproof
0: coffee.
4: Okay. All right. All right. All right. We got a bulletproof
0: coffee drinker in there. So now all of a sudden, Chris isn't the only crazy guy. We'll take that. Now I'm not crazy. Coffee. Are you Are you putting MCT oil in that thing? What do you got going on over there?
9: Uh, I just got the co- coconut oil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But see, here's the thing. You can, get, you can get MCT oil, which is an extract down of coconut oil, which doesn't have any coconut flavor. You still get all the benefits of coconut oil nice. without the coconut flavor. So if you don't want to coconut up your uh, coffee- you putting butter in there? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of butter. Yeah, yeah. That that is. Uh, and you doing? Are you doing like a like a you like, are you doing that for breakfast? Are you doing like a fasting thing? What's going on over there?
9: No, I I just uh, I use it to keep me going. It does, doesn't uh, it? For a long time before having to have lunch.
0: Yeah, not only does it not only does it help you uh, keep going in between meals, but also you know sometimes at least for me when the caffeine wears off, especially coffee because it's like 120 milligrams of caffeine. I go into like um, starvation mode where I gotta eat, and I don't care what it takes or what it is or how long it's been in there. I gotta eat. Isn't
4: that weird? Yeah. It, do you get like that sensation where your body just like really, really, really yeah. needs food? Yeah, and when you do, I the, don't even know how to describe it. It's really weird. And like when you do the bulletproof coffee,
0: when you do the bulletproof coffee, you do not get that. It is a more gradual oh. ramp down. Yeah.
4: Why
10: does this sound like a recipe for diarrhea?
0: Uh well if caffeine makes you poo if coffee makes you poo then it will happen mm. yeah gotta love the coffee poo but I'm telling you what though this the, I don't I don't I don't do the official like bulletproof coffee I just go get really good coffee and an immersion blender and I put MCT coconut oil in there and a little bit of butter and uh, you know it I haven't done it in a while but it, when it's cold out uh, you know and you could also like if you don't care about if you're not doing it for health reasons. You could put a little chocolate syrup in there too. Now, don't do that, but you could put a little (laughs) chocolate syrup in there too, or a little little cocoa powder, or a little liqueur, Yeah. a little liqueur. Actually,
10: they say I've heard that chocolate is actually really good for you. Well, there you go, antioxidants.
4: Shit, that's health
1: food then. That's basically health food. Done,
4: done. Chocolate syrup, maybe not so much. No, (laughs) no.
0: no. (laughs) You could use cocoa
1: powder. (laughs) High fructose corn. Ruin this for us. High fructose corn syrup is the
0: number one ingredient, I think, in that. it, uh, sweet loose is coffee does make you crap. You know, when I went to System 76, part of their cyborg bo- uh, um, versus robot versus human um, lie detector test asked if they asked you if coffee makes you poop. So I think that was one of the things that made me more cyborg, less robot, because I do poop. Who oh, did?